passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, it's John Pollock and Phil Chairtalk. Welcome to our post-UFC T60 Post Show. I am John Pollock. Hello, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, we are coming off of UFC 260. Our final pay-per-view for the time being at the UFC Apex because the UFC is going on the road, Phil. The, I, wow. Yes, the, that's right. The next event will be live from Jacksonville, uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Full house. Full house. The UFC has ended the pandemic. The whole Tanner family will be there. It could it could very well be. How are you doing tonight? I, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm happy that uh, we're starting this post show early. Uh, that's always a, a good uh, a good sign. Uh, thank you to uh, the finishes on this card. And you know we didn't have a five round uh, second title fight to extend the evening. Um, but before we get into that, I just want to tease something. I've got an announcement later in the show. So, uh, for people, uh, fans of their discord or people who are interested in joining the discord, they'll want to stick around later. Cause, uh, I've got a little announcement. Yeah. The discord was rocking tonight. It really was. Yeah. It was, it was one of our uh, busiest nights, uh, on, on the year. We had a lot of, uh, voting action in the votes. Uh, there was some battles. I mean, That's right. The, you, there was a big brother. Hey, explain watch the along. votes, how, how those, how, how that works. This, uh, this goes fight by fight. People can make their predictions live. They yeah. got two minutes, two minutes before the fight starts. Yeah, that's right. So uh, before each fight, we start a poll where uh, you can vote on who you think is going to win. And then um, once, you know, the fights conclude, uh, the person who starts started the poll, the mod uh, selects the winner and then you see who won. And I'm actually uh, tabulating these statistics throughout the year. So we have a leaderboard. Uh, yeah. So there's a leaderboard right now where Scott Ferry uh, through 2021 is 18 and five and he's number one on our leaderboard number two is eric marcotte with uh 16 and 10 and uh just on his tail is one big phil combo 13 and 9 so uh so uh and and john john making an appearance today on the leaderboard with his first votes uh yeah that's right i only uh i i only got in on the voting on the last two fights so i, I went 500 i was i was one one yeah it wasn't a good night for me either from that regard uh well it was a lot of fun uh I, I was hanging out in the discord tonight it was a lot of fun there were a lot of people in there it's a, it's a fun way to follow along with the fights i was uh, i was pretty much in the discord all night it was like you know what twitter you you, you can have your fun it's really going down in the discord uh, that's that's what we love to hear and it's only going to get better especially if you uh stick around to hear the announcement later Ooh, well, that is a tease if there ever was one. But we've got this uh, card to go through, a very interesting card that had a lot of important fights, especially at the top end when it came to several fighters at 
a, you know, at a pivotal point. I think you can look at these top two fights as somewhat of a, a changing of the guard. And we can start off with the UFC heavyweight championship fight that everyone was focused on for this card, the rematch between Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou. And their their previous fight, which, Phil, I mean, <laughs> we have been doing these post-shows for almost as long. I remember actually doing a post-show uh, in the very infancy of the post-wrestling days after this first fight between Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou. And it was several months later that I, I, I brought on Phil Chertok as my co-host. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, I was, I was, it sounded like you were going to say that that was going to, was one of our first shows. And it was like, I, I was, did it. I was about I, to say that. And then I realized in my head that you were not there that early. That, yeah, I because that. I, and I didn't even see that fight the, the, when it happened. So it would have been impossible, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, it's, we've been doing these shows for a while and, uh, it's been fun and they're getting better. And yeah, that fight was a long time ago and clearly much has changed. You know what reminds me of that night so much? That night is like burned into my memory. Uh, It was in January of 2018. And that same night, Bellator was running a card with Roy McDonald and Douglas Lima. And I was just, at that point, just doing a solo post-show. And in the midst of the fights, at the time, uh, my son Max, he was six months old and got this allergic reaction and it was really bad and me and my wife we had to rush him to the hospital spent like several hours there i came home he was okay he was fine and then i finished the ufc show i watched the bellator show and i recorded a show afterwards and this i must have finished at like 5 30 in the morning and was like there's no way i can ever try this again it was like the most I really should have just, if ever I had an excuse to just say, hey, sorry, I can't do a post-show. That night probably was a night to uh, play that card, but I did finish it. Well, now we have this moment recorded where you've like actually like set the line down on when you should tap out for the evening and, you know, go to bed and take care of business later. So we need, you need to really draw on this uh if it ever happens well we we will probably not have any more head-to-head nights between ufc and bellator for the foreseeable (laughs) future given bellator has seemed to have claimed fridays and what was the allergic reaction to did you find out it was just he had uh it it was like a a peanut allergy that he ended Mm up uh having as a result of it and that was um it just got like this this crazy rash and we had to just go to the hospital and it turned out to be okay um that that was it. That that is so burned in my memory of that first Miochik and Ganu fight was that's what comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this past week, I went back and watched that fight, and my God, this was a completely different Francis and Ganu. That first fight, it's I think people remember that Miochik won this fight. I don't think they remember how one-sided this first fight was even as much as people want to say like Nganu is so dangerous in the first round and yes he was that was definitely his best round was round one in the first fight Miocic handled him in that first round like it was a dominant first round it wasn't quite a 10-8 but it wasn't that far off either and he would get a 10-8 in the fourth round it was a dominant dominant performance from Stipe who ate several big shots of Nganu's in that fight and 
I know it's three years later, but this was one where I, I did feel pretty confident in Miocic going into this fight. But, I mean, there's always going to be Nganu's power. But w- there was a lot more than just his power. That was the story of this rematch. Definitely. I, I was on board. The, I had the exact same sentiment about this fight. Uh, I, like It was 25 minutes or so, roughly, of domination the last time. And in the history of the fight sports... More so in boxing, less so in, in MMA, but still generally so. Rematches go the way of the first fight. Um, n- now, yeah, but clearly three years had, have changed a lot. Francis has improved on a lot. Stipe ate a lot of shots in this fight, but uh, mm-hmm. it, but uh, it was too many. Yeah, so in the first round, uh, Nganu lands an overhand right pretty early uh, that Miocic absorbs, but it's very evident. And Ganu is not doing his usual wild style. Like you go watch um, the Jarzinho Rosenstruck fight, and it is wild to watch this man just swinging, it just almost aimlessly. It's like I'm going to throw so much that something will connect. Uh, this was such a different Francis and Ganu in that sense. He, um, and then I think what opened up my eyes was seeing. Stipe go for the single leg and and Ganu defends the single leg and starts raining down these strikes. And that immediately, it served twofold. Number one, the fact that Ganu can at least uh, defend the takedown. And number two, put it into Miocic's mind that you shoot for this takedown, you are putting yourself into a very vulnerable position with a guy who has takedown defense. So uh, a solid round for Francis Ganu, and I would argue one of his best rounds in terms of well-roundedness that we have seen from Francis Ngannou. Yeah, he, I I mean, you described it perfectly. The one thing that did sort of transpire, it did seem like, you know, he, he he was clearly trying to explicitly manage his energy output. And, you know, he was getting a little bit tired, but Stipe wasn't taking advantage of that opportunity. And then when he went back into his corner, they were saying, we need you to do a little bit more. And, you know, then, you know, that kind of fueled what would happen in the second round. Yeah, the second, it didn't go very long. It was this big jab from Nganu that rocks Miocic. And he goes up against the fence and eats all these shots from Nganu. Miocic does get back to the center and he lands a shot on Nganu and then goes to follow up and eats this left hook from hell and Miocic goes down and just craters to the canvas and then there's this hammer fist that the fight is done 52 seconds into the second round and Francis Ngannou is your winner by knockout yeah I mean uh, really impressive star making performance um it was kind of everything you wanted it to be if you're a Francis Ngannou fan, or I mean, it's hard not to be a Francis Ngannou fan. Who isn't a fan of this guy? Um, so uh, to to go out there to defeat the you know the consensus uh, goat heavyweight, um, yeah, I- I- incredible, and to do it, uh, you know, in a measured performance that shows he's got um, you know more well-rounded skills than he did years ago, and I mean, he was never in threat in this fight, so. He hasn't been in trouble since that uh, first fight. 
Yeah, this was a, a much improved Francis Ngannou. I I don't know if this still answers your conditioning questions if you came into this fight with it. And that would be a very reasonable uh, question to have about Francis Ngannou is the longer this fight went, how much it would favor Stipe Miocic. And I don't know, did you get at least a sense of Francis Ngannou or is that still an area that you feel uh, a conditioned heavyweight is going to be able to exploit? Uh, it, it it it's it's a bit of a tug and pull thing. I think yes, there's definitely an area where you can look. He's clearly trying to measure his output, so there's concern there. And these are five round fights, so and everything's about his power. So he ha- if he wants to maintain this power, he can't be uh, doing a high output. Um, but at the same time, that means somebody has to go and pressure him. Uh, that's easier said than done. Do you really want to go into the fire with him? And he showed he he can fight aggressively. He can fight as a counter striker and knock you out in both instances. We also saw in this fight, um, Miocic came into this fight weighing 234 pounds. He was 12 pounds less than the first fight with Nganu. And I have to imagine that he was... He was envisioning that this was likely going to be a marathon for him, much like the first fight was. And, I mean, as much as Nganu was exhausted in that fight, by round five, Miocic was pretty much spent by that point because he had an, a hellacious output in the fourth round. And I, I imagine that was the thinking here because it was a noticeable – it was always going to be a notable size difference, but I think it was that much more pronounced, um, you know, having watched the first fight a few days ago and then watching this one. Yeah, he seemed to have slimmed down for the second Cormier uh, fight, um, yes. and uh, he's maintained that. I mean, you know, he had success through both of those. So, uh, and yeah, trying to push a five round pace was almost certainly part of the plan. Um, I, I wouldn't say it, it cost him because he was able to take shots. I mean, it, it's not like he buckled. Uh, there was plenty of shots, but it, it, it's just. He, you know, he waded right into to a power shot after he'd already been hurt, and nobody can do that. Afterwards, we had maybe my favorite exchange of all time involving Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier. As Francis Ngannou is being crowned the UFC heavyweight champion, and all of the potential fights that can come to mind, the one at the top of Joe Rogan's list of what this title win means for him as a fight fan is the rematch. Francis Ngannou (laughs) and Derek Lewis could happen now. And Daniel Cormier shuts this down immediately. He says, Joe, uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, John Jones. And he goes on this whole, like, as if he's convincing one person out there that he is, he is, this is the ultimate preaching to the choir moment of Daniel Cormier as by the end of it, Joe Rogan concedes. Yes, that is the fight to make. What was I thinking? Like, it was just amazing. Like of all the potential fights at heavyweight, that might be the mo- the least desirable fight, a rematch with Derek Lewis. Uh, almost certainly. Uh, I, yeah, Joe has... This is weird... one of the greatest exchanges ever. Please go back. Order the replay of this pay-per-view <laughs> just to hear this exchange after the fight. It's worth it alone for the price tag. Uh, Joe has a habit of doing this. Even uh, I re- remember listening to a few of his uh, the fight 
companions he used to do. I don't know if he still does them, but uh, yeah, you know, they're just so in the moment. The only thing that he can think of is the first thing that comes to mind. He would be the worst fight promoter. I mean, you know, because he, he's like, yeah, I want to see them fight in a giant field with unlimited time where they can run around away from each other. If that's their strategy, that's their strategy. Okay. Just, you're not, you're not the promoter. Okay. There's a reason. Uh, do you foresee uh, hangups in instantly going to the Sanganu John Jones fight? Obviously, that is the fight everyone wants to see. Is it going to be that simple for the UFC to be able to book that fight? Uh, it never seems very simple to book uh, John Jones in a fight, especially at heavyweight, because that hasn't happened yet. Francis seems pretty easy to work with, but who knows what he's going to want as champion now? I, um, the only hang-up is potentially Stipe, what he wants him, you know, if he wants a, a rematch. But clearly, he's going to get a suspension, and uh, Ngannou's not hurt. And if they can get a quick turnaround on that fight, then, yeah, I, I, I could see it happening this summer. What what do you see in, in Stipe Miocic's future? I mean, he is 38 years old. This guy has a Hall of Fame career. I don't know if it's going to be so simple that he is that they just look at it. Well, we'll make the third fight between them. I think that it's I, I don't know if this guy will fight for the heavyweight title again. I I'm like, again, we haven't heard him say a word yet because it's minutes after this loss. Uh, but th this is one of those fights where I, I don't know if you're so quick to make that decision that you're going to continue fighting. Maybe he will make that decision, but I, I don't know. Certainly. I mean, look, he, he, he's a fireman, he's a father, and it, 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 he doesn't have anything to prove really in this sport anymore, but he's also a competitor. And I, I definitely can see him wanting to get that third, third, uh, that fight back. I mean, he was, he was still in the fight, right? It, it wasn't like he, he was completely outclassed here. Um, uh, well, maybe he was, uh, but, uh, I could see the UFC doing it, not right away. That's not their ideal situation. But if Francis gets by Jones, um, you know, Stipe is, I, I could definitely see the rubber match happening, especially if this event uh, did well on pay-per-view. Do you get the sense that this, this show did do uh, a big number, do you think? I don't think it's quite as big as uh, what was a few weeks ago. But uh, there's definitely interest. I mean, people are, you know, belief in the Nganu power. Um, so, th th I mean, you because saw Because if, if this card sport. does very well, uh, I think a lot of that you have to put on. Like, the Cormier-Miocic number was not, I would say, given those two, I think it was a bit of a disappointing number. If this pay-per-view were to do moderately well to very well, uh, that's a very strong sign of Nganu's drawing ability and what he brings to the table for a John Jones fight. Like that, to me, is going to be a, an enormous fight just from the John Jones side of the equation of his first heavyweight fight, the fact it's John Jones fighting, and it's challenging for a title, and it's now Francis Ngannou. Like, you do have everything in alignment if you're in the UFC for a blockbuster fight between these two. Yeah. And uh, now you also have this opportunity to to take uh, Francis and put him out in the media. I mean, he you couldn't ask for a better ambassador. Like, like, there's what could you say bad about this person? Um, so you can put him out there with the belt, um, you know, talking about his personal story. And uh, I think that that's going to generate a lot of interest.
Uh, so we move on down the card to a pivotal fight for Tyron Woodley as he was taking on Vicente Luque. Woodley is coming into this after the losses to Kamaru Usman, Gilbert Burns, and Colby Covington. So back against the wall here, and he came out extremely aggressive. He is throwing these huge right hands. There's a lot of clinch work, and then he rocks Luque with a right hand over the top. Luque then comes back with a huge shot, and Woodley is barely keeping his legs underneath him. He is all wobbly. He eats some more shots. He's bouncing against the fence, and then he just goes down to the ground, and Luque instantly applies a Darce choke, locks it in deep, and Woodley's trapped between Luque and the fence, and he's forced to tap at three minutes and 56 seconds of the first round, a... You know, a fight that was an extremely entertaining one for the short time it lasted. But there was, I mean, it was it was amazing that the referee, Jason Herzog, um, saw enough in Tyron Woodley to feel comfortable. Like his, he was out on his feet, it seemed like. Yeah, I, there, I don't think anybody would have had a problem with him stopping it. But I mean, Woodley was at least he was doing things to try to survive the fight. So I think that that's what the ref saw, but uh, as I just said, I don't think anybody would have complained if uh, he had stopped it. This is a hard one because I think anyone that looked at this fight going in would say that a fourth loss for Tyron Woodley is going to put him in that category of a potential cut by the UFC. Um, this is a fight that I I really hesitate to say that Tyron Woodley should continue, but I think that you also saw... I mean, the biggest, I think, uh, concern of these last three fights with Usman, with Burns and Covington was just the lack of output from Tyron Woodley. That wasn't the case in this fight. It was short, but this was a much different Tyron Woodley than we saw in those fights. Definitely. Um, what, whether that's a, because he had a greater sense of urgency because of that lack of output, be, was it because... Um, this was a three-round fight, and he had a different mentality around the conditioning or a combination of those things. It, it was definitely a, a altered Woodley, but ultimately it was it was too much. It, it, he 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 went too wild, too aggressive, and that caught him. And uh, it's a tough. It's a fourth loss in a row. I I I could I could see the UFC keeping him around um, for a few reasons even though he's probably pretty expensive, but um, I'm not sure he would want to keep going because at this point, it's such a long road back to the title. And, and other than, other than money, it's like, what's he fighting There's for? no way this guy's fighting for a title again. I mean, he's turning 39. You're facing four losses in this weight class. I mean, you really have to ask that question of what are you fighting for? Because a championship exactly. is out of reach. Yes, precisely. So we will see what, what, what happens next. Uh, Luque was interviewed and he called out Nate Diaz. Uh, and he said that he wants to punch everyone in the face. He would not have goals. Well, uh, you know, the Nate Diaz one was nice because he said, I called out Nate Diaz before and you didn't answer me. So I'm going to call you out again. It's like, I feel like this guy's never like texted a girl and not, and had her like not respond. It's like, he's like, Hey, why aren't you responding? What's wrong? Uh, the, <laughs> you know, for Luke, um, 
he's now won nine of his last ten fights. So this was, I think, uh, like good matchmaking for Vicente Luque that he beats a guy who is actually ranked ahead of him, and this this should hopefully elevate Luque into. I mean, he's a top ten fighter. This should elevate him that much further in the division, and it really gets him into kind of some of the bigger names. And I could see where all these people are landing. Um, the guy who is Mister uh, Odd Man Out. Leon Edwards, uh, is is that too far of a jump for a Vicente, Vicente Luque? Mm, I, um, I don't think it's too big of a jump because he's already also been in there with Wonder Boy, and Wonder Boy's right at the top of the division, and he lost that fight clearly, but he 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 you know he was competitive, so um, I, I I could see that, but it does feel like I mean it's tough luck for uh, Leon Edwards there. You know, I mean, the guy needs a title It's always shot. tough luck for Leon Edwards. Um, I, I, I mean, he look, maybe he can squeeze in there and get a title shot uh, next month or something. If if somebody falls out of these uh, this uh, title fight. But uh, yeah, I could see that. I would rather see Wonder Boy. Like Wonder Boy, I think. Does, I mean, Wonder Boy beat Luke. So I'd rather see Wonder Boy versus uh, Edwards. I mean, maybe Luke can go against Chizaya because Chizaya... Uh, Need somebody too, although I think he's injured. Uh, Tyron Woodley and Vicente Luque got fight of the night, so that's notable. Uh, performance of the nights went to Francis Ngannou and the fighter we're about to talk about, Sean O'Malley. So, a fight mm. of the night performance. The fact that he got the fight of the night bonus, um, that may be a positive sign for Tyron Woodley that they would be willing to give him another fight after what they saw from him. I mean, it was a very aggressive output from Tyron Woodley that. Maybe he does get that chance to have one more fight. Yeah, and there's other aspects. He has he has a strong uh, social media following. He has a strong following in Missouri. Like he draws a lot of interest um, to his fights, um, even if it's not always like on a, a national scale. And uh, you know, we've seen the UFC uh, you know use that in the past. So that that's the main reason why I think he could keep him around. We also had a limited amount of guests that were in attendance at the UFC Apex, and we got to see a little bit of a peek into the party that was going on in the Apex. Uh, Megan Fox was there with Machine Gun Kelly, and then we pan across to Travis Barker with Courtney Kardashian. Phil, there is not a monetary figure that you could offer me that could ever want to be in this crowd. It, it was odd. And then there was this bizarre character who was standing b- behind Travis Barker and shadow boxing. Yeah, yeah, dude, it was what was going on here. Yeah, it, it, it was another example of a UFC production fail. It was like when you show celebrities, they're supposed to be larger than life. You're supposed to be like, oh, it's a glamorous event where these, you know, razzle dazzle television stars are the only people in attendance but it just looks so dinky it looks like they're in a basement at a like a coffee table with like they put a uh just like a bed sheet over it or something i don't know yeah we had like megan fox just like staring into the camera uh, <laughs> machine gun kelly's got like his drink on uh courtney kardashian is like sucking on a lollipop and travis barker seemed like the only one there that actually did want to watch these fights well, I mean, he's he's like a legit fight fan, and I know he does. Yeah. He's been doing boxing for a long time, so I'm sure he he was really into it. 
Sean O'Malley and Thomas Almeida. So this was uh, Sean O'Malley looking to bounce back from the Chito Vera loss last August, while Thomas Almeida has been very inactive. He's coming off of three losses, but those are spread out over uh, three and a half years, uh, going back to the summer of 2017. And this one was nearly over before it started because O'Malley landed this head kick that just sent Almeida back, and he followed up with another shot Everyone thinks it's over. O'Malley's going for like the walk-off knockout, but Mark Smith, the referee, doesn't stop it. So O'Malley's got to continue. And my God, Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier were on this for the rest of the fight, bringing up mistake. What a mistake. O'Malley's like (laughs) piecing him up. He's like, yeah, but look at that mistake in the first round. Dude, I heard these guys uh, use the word mistake more than – Serial Joe in the year 2000. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Well, I mean, I live in Newmarket Aurora. The Serial Joe's from Newmarket. I mean, uh, there are legends here. Yes. Um, so, I mean, that's a real deep cut to, to some uh, much music uh, 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 playlist. Um, yeah, it was a little bit much. It was, it was, it was a situation again of, of, you know, this happens often where Rogan and sometimes Cormier, they get focused on, uh, you know, a singular thing. But They find uh, a story for the fight and then they... Yeah. Uh, more so, this is more so a Rogan thing, uh, but I did appreciate that in the third round, this is very rare, you don't get the pushback from John Anik, but it was as forceful a rebuttal to this because it was the latest callback to this quote-unquote mistake. And Anik says... Well, that might be the pessimistic view. Others could say that he's getting some very valuable cage time as he's going into this third round. And Cormier kind of concedes this. He's like, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right, John. Yeah. I was in agreement with John Anik. It's like, yeah, okay, he didn't get this, this uh, walk-off knockout. But, my God, Sean O'Malley looked incredible in this fight. He was so much faster than Almeida. He was piecing him up with his hands. Uh, to Almeida's credit, he took some ungodly shots in this fight and was able to walk through them and was competitive in this fight. I would never say it was – well, it was close to being done in the first. It was a 10-8 round. Um, but the rest of the way, it was all Sean O'Malley. And then in the third round, uh, there's a short left that drops Almeida. He goes down, and he is he is – the fight can be called at this point, but it's not. And instead, Thomas Almeida eats this right-handed bomb that was so uncomfortable to watch. And I swear to God, I could not believe my ears as I heard for almost 13 minutes about the mistake. He he should have kept fighting until the referee stopped him. Now, Joe Rogan, you know, we didn't need to see that last shot. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Uh, it it was amusing. I don't know if it was as amusing as you made it seem. Your your rendition was more entertaining, but I was sort of juggling things. But it was very much his like whole, that. His whole story, this whole fight, was that <laughs> you can't stop fighting until the judge or until the referee steps in. He made it this gigantic mistake. The the mistake <laughs> of O'Malley, and then it ends with. One shot too many, which, again, is not Sean O'Malley's fault. Uh, Mark Smith, I think, certainly could have ended this fight uh, before that that right hand of death that 
Thomas Almeida, unfortunately, had to absorb here. But it was a knockout finish, 352 of the third round. And I th- I thought Sean O'Malley looked really great in this fight. Yes. So let's make that the story. He did look absolutely great. Uh, there was an amount of time that you could spend on the blown finish, but uh, we've surpassed that. And uh, yeah, he he really... Okay, I was off of the, the, the Sean O'Malley hype train. And I don't want to say that I'm per se on it, but he definitely uh, showed incredibly high level of skill against a really good fighter. Um, so, uh, you know, the sky is the limit for him right now. I mean, he the way he kept the range, he switched stances. He took a bunch of shots to the calf, to both legs. Um, he showed he could take those. He, You know, there was a couple of times where he got clipped with his hands low. Um, but largely he was able to maintain distance masterfully and was just super precise. And, uh, it was a one way, uh, ticket, you know, it, it, it really only went one direction this fight. Uh, amazing that Almeida. You know who I want to see Sean O'Malley fight next? I, a guy, no, Kyler no. Phillips, we saw fight uh, a few weeks ago. Kyler Phillips. Who did he fight against? Um, he was on the 259 card. Okay. He looked great. Like tremendous footwork, Kyler. To, Phillips, to me, huh? it's like it's a top fifteen guy. Which Sean O'Malley is not ranked in the top fifteen yet. So this 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 fight will probably uh, it probably won't because number fifteen right now is Marlon Vera. So I don't know if this even cracks uh, a top fifteen ranking for Sean O'Malley. But Kyler Phillips is to me it's like it's it's not a gigantic leap up the bantamweight weight class. Uh, but to me, it's it's like a really good style fight. Uh, of two really great strikers with great footwork um, unless they're looking at Sean O'Malley and they're putting all their stock in this guy and they're going to shoot this guy up the train to fight someone like a, I don't know, uh, a Dominic Cruz. Which to me would be a mistake. Uh, Maybe that would be a mistake, but I don't think that they're going to go with Kyler Phillips. And the reason why they're not going to go with Kyler Phillips is because of the reason that I said when you said he should fight Kyler Phillips, and I said, who? That's why Sean O'Malley is not going to fight Kyler Phillips. Not that I'm the the benchmark, but he's somebody who's going to be in a big fight against a name. Maybe not well, uh, if, Dominic If that's the Cruz. case, then, then you're looking at your big names are Dominic Cruz, Frankie Edgar. Um, I can't see him going any higher than that. But that that, to me, is like you're really throwing this guy in the deep end at that point, and... I don't know. I'm not. I'm not crazy about jumping to that level um, now, unless you're looking at Frankie Edgar as someone that is, um, you know, it's it's another like changing of the guard style of fight. But that is, to me, is I don't know. I wouldn't be going that 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 high up the the rankings with Sean O'Malley. I mean, look, I think I think uh, you know Ricky Simone, uh, Jimmy Rivera. I think those are those are solid opponents who who've been against some pretty good guys i i think you could it's i could see him doing jimmy rivera i could those. see um, jimmy rivera i could see and, and I, hey i mean uriah faber is still under contract i mean if if, if you ever want to you know make a name off somebody it's good old uriah uh miranda maverick defeated a uh, jillian robertson canadian jillian robertson from niagara falls canadian side of niagara falls um good so side. this fight um Maverick looked uh, very good with her striking uh, early on, utilizing combinations. In the second round, uh, it was Robertson that controlled the fight for like 
90% of the round was contested on the ground. So grappling was the deciding factor here. And she controlled Maverick um, throughout the whole round. But then in the final 20 seconds, Maverick got to her feet and landed an uppercut and several other strikes uh, to make this close. But I still thought this was Robertson's round. So I had it even going into the third and it was Maverick's round in the third, just much more aggressive with her striking. It was her getting the back of Robertson in this round and then landing hammer fists and reversing out when Robertson got the back. So I scored this fight 29-28 for Miranda Maverick. What was your score? I did the exact same way. Uh, Miranda Maverick uh, made some mistakes in the grappling department in round two and uh, was able... And, and, you know, also Jillian Robertson did an excellent job of controlling, you know, didn't let uh once she got the top position she did everything well to keep it for four minutes um but yeah when maverick uh came back in the third round she looked really strong really powerful she just she looked a lot bigger and the power difference was uh evident from round one um but uh really interesting prospect really good showing and a good interview after as well uh definitely uh one to keep an eye on yeah, Miranda Maverick, I mean, they, they've told the story before. She's going for her PhD. She's only 23 years old, and Flyweight definitely needs um, prospects like this. So I think Miranda Maverick is uh, an interesting Flyweight to watch, um, especially where she goes next. Uh, the judges, by the way, had this. Uh, two judges had it 30-27, so they gave the second round to Maverick, which was somewhat surprising, and then one having it 29-28, but a unanimous decision win nonetheless. Uh, the pay-per-view opened up with Jamie Malarkey knocking out Kama Worthy in all of 46 seconds. He put this left hand on Worthy, who was out on his feet, and then, yes, flare-flopped onto the canvas and absorbed one more shot for the end. Uh, Jamie Malarkey gets his first UFC victory after starting off his UFC tenure uh, with two losses. Yeah, there wasn't uh, too many highlights on the card up to this point, uh, but this is definitely one that you're going to be seeing on social media uh, over the next uh, 24 hours. There are several big like highlight um, knockouts on this card. Y- yeah, after uh, after that one kicked it off. So uh, I thought a very um, a very quick pay per view main card um, relative to normal length cards this was two and a half hours and you got some really great finishes on this i i thought it was a overall like a pretty noteworthy main card and that's with the loss of alexander volkanovsky and brian ortega yeah i think having sean o'malley deliver you know he's somebody with a lot of hype around him who who generates a lot of interest um through you know his mouth and so having him win and having him win in such an impressive fashion is is uh good for fans and of course the main event right like you're paying like you're paying for that tension that knockout uh is he gonna get it or is he not gonna get it and you know you got it so i i think um even without the exciting uh undercard or the un- the exciting fights uh underneath the main event on the main card i think even just the main event uh people would have gone home happy with yeah, we'll quickly just race through these uh, prelim fights and then we'll open up the phone lines. But uh, the prelim saw Alonzo Menafield submit Fabio Charant, who was uh, a replacement for William Knight, uh, who was off the card due to uh, COVID protocols. So Charant took this fight on several days' notice, missed weight by half a pound. This poor guy got docked his pay after taking this short notice fight and then got uh, taken down and 
was going for the guillotine, but um, made a big mistake because he got Vaughn flued by Menefield in a minute 11, and Alonzo Menefield got the submission. A rare Vaughn flu choke, but quite a propensity of them in the light heavyweight division between uh, Menefield and Ovin St. Preux. Well, I believe Menafield's last fight prior to this one was a loss to St. Prue. So maybe yes. some of his, yes. So maybe some of his Von Flew juju uh, rubbed off on him. Uh, and then afterwards he told Joe Rogan that his mother has not shown him the love that his wife has. And Joe Rogan said, you know, your mother is not going to be happy with that. <laughs> and Alonzo Menafield's response, it is what it is. <laughs> Okay, that's weird. Man, poor mom. I, I, miss, I miss that. Jeez. Okay, mom. Yeah, yeah. Throw mom under oh, the you bus. Gotta, you got to always pay attention to the... Uh, did, did you hear Sean O'Malley's post-fight interview? Yes, I did. I did. I made sure to stick around for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said he heard a lot of smart people that thought he can't take leg kicks anymore. And he said, I had to teach stupid people that they're stupid tonight. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's good, good. It's like... You know, I mean, I don't know, 90% of the majority of half of them thought, agreed. Uh, Abubakar Nurmagomedov, the cousin of Khabib, defeated Jared Gooden by unanimous decision. Uh, it was a pretty good performance from Nurmagomedov. Um, one thing to note was uh, his striking uh, and his speed that he showcased in this. And uh, obviously, with a last name like Nurmagomedov, it comes with a lot of weight, but uh, in this fight, I, like I, I thought, he looked good here. I'm I'm not uh, stopping the presses to alert the welterweight division that Abubakar Nurmagomedov is on the rise. But th- this was a good quality win, um, and I'm interested to see where he moves forward. Yeah, I, I think it, it's it's a different situation than maybe some of the other uh, uh, prospects from that gym. But he's de- still somebody to look out for. But you know, he, it's, it's, you know, 2021 is a development year for him. So we'll, we'll, we'll get him somebody else who's not ranked probably uh, next as well. Yeah. I think his next fight will be the one where I think people are taking a closer look to see his game uh, and against uh, a higher level opponent as well. Uh, Modestus Bukaskas versus Mihel Olekshechuk. Uh They had a very good fight. They went three rounds. Uh, Ola Shechuk won by split decision uh, with two 29-28 scores uh, and Bukaskas getting one. Uh, I scored this 29-28 for Bukaskas, giving him the first two rounds. Ola Shechuk, I think everyone gave the third round to. Uh, but how did you score this? I thought these were the first two rounds I thought were fairly close. I did think Sorry, were... the second round. The second round was close. Yeah, the second round was definitely closer than the first. I think even the first round was close, but it was it was more clear. But I gave both of them to Bukowskis, so I had it scored exactly the same way as you. Um, but the second round was close enough. And and uh, as the commentators were mentioning, the, the it was constant waiting forward of mm-hmm. Ola. Oh my gosh, I, I, I'm not even going to try. Of the winner, Ola Chechuk. Oleg Chechuk, I, I, uh, Oleg Chechuk, uh, his constant forward pressure, um, and it was pretty close in terms of the strike count. So I could see why you would give him the second round, even though 
Um, you know, he was clearly, he, he listened to his corner. In the first round, he was chasing. And then in the second round, he would, he would be chasing. And he would just, you know, he'd stop. He'd reset to the center of the octagon and slow it down. And, and then, you know, the exchange. But it was actually in those situations that Bukowskis would do really well when they were going one-on-one there. Yeah. And then uh, I think, you know, by the third round, I think Oleg Shechuk had a very good round, just putting a lot more pressure on him, going to the body quite quite a bit. But for me, it was like, uh, it just wasn't enough. So I, uh, and a lot of people had this for Bukaskis 29-28. And then the prelims opened up with Omar Morales uh, earning a unanimous decision over Shane Young. Uh, This fight was kind of in question this week because Shane Young is a training partner of Alexander Volkanovsky, but the fight got put back onto the card. Um, uh, The first, I I guess the first two rounds were were very close, but I thought Morales edged past Young in in both of them. And then in the third, it was Morales getting a takedown, uh, goes back up. He's using his jab quite a bit. Um, This was his best round of the fight. Uh, but I had it 30-27. All three judges had it 30-27 as well as Morales improves to 11-1. and one. I had it the same way. And our final fight, the early prelim saw another Canadian, Marc-Andre Berrio, uh, getting his first UFC win because uh, his last win got changed to a no contest after he tested positive for uh, Austrian in his system, defeating Abu Azatar uh, with a TKO at 456 of the third round. I had them splitting the first two rounds. Uh, Azatar won the first and he was doing very well, especially with his power from the tie clinch, but man, did this guy get tired and uh, Barrio just unloaded on him in this second round. He uh, outstruck him in significant strikes, 53 to 31, which is an impressive uh, discrepancy until we get to the third round where up until this finish, he had outlanded him. 57 to 4 in significant strikes. This was one of the most one round one-sided rounds you're going to see. I mean, <laughs> Rogan was talking about this getting to like 10-7 territory and I, it was I like it, scored it was getting there. Like I don't I don't think that would have been a crazy score if this fight had gone four more seconds. Like this the thing about People will say, well, why are there so few 10-7 scores? Because most fights do not last <laughs> to the point that you have to score at 10-7. That's usually a sign that the fight must be stopped, and it was here uh, with four seconds to go. This was the same ref as in the Sean O'Malley fight, right? Uh, this was Jaron Villel, while um, Mark Smith was the no, referee okay. for okay. O'Malley and Almeida. So this this ref, he made a mistake this was the one with the uppercut when the guy dropped his mouthpiece and he was like, yes, yes. Oh my god! It looked goodness. like he had been hit and was like out, but he like spits the mouthpiece out and then it's reinserted as Barrio's on top in half guard. And then they resumed in the position. But he, even while it's happening, the ref is about to, di- he's trying to dive in to grab the mouthpiece to, to, to like interfere to like, it was like the worst decision making about, and then he backs out. It was so confusing that, and then he let the fight go on too long. Oh my gosh, this ref, no good. No good ref. Uh, so there you go. Mark andre Barrio, uh, your Canadian getting a win that kicked off the show. And that was UFC 260. It was a, uh, it was quite the show. Ten fights. I, I thought it was a very entertaining show tonight and pretty noteworthy in that um, a new UFC heavyweight champion. Yeah, huge news. And, uh, you know, it started off slow through the prelims. But uh, for the pay-per-view portion, uh, it, it was, you know, I, I don't think anybody could be disappointed. 
Um, so I guess we should go to the phone lines. Um, Let's open right, them up. Yeah, right now on the line, John Fury, 316. Uh, what's the bottom line on uh, UFC uh, 260? You know, it, it was a good card. Francis is scary. Francis is a scary, scary fighter. And this version of Francis, like I thought he was scary the first time. He's even more scary now. Now that he has a little bit of, of wrestling in him. Uh, I'm very happy for him that he won the title. Uh, I did listen to that Joe Rogan when he was on Joe Rogan. And I highly recommend listening to it. His story is fascinating. So I'm very happy he won. Uh, I'm excited for him and John Jones if that gets done. Yeah, I mean that's that's the only question is um you know John Jones um who I think realizes he is he is the A side in that equation and what um and, and just finalizing that fight I think that's the fight Francis Ngannou would want that's the fight the UFC wants and I I think it's just it's just getting John Jones uh signature to make that fight happen it's it's an enormous fight like that will be a gigantic, gigantic fight. Yeah, because even I was listening to Dana on the press conference, and he said he said the fight to make is Derek Lewis, but if John wants it, he just has to make the phone call. So I hope he does. I, do you think we can see that in August? August. Um, I why not? It's a I little mean... quick, but um, I wouldn't dismiss that. I mean, we're in March now. I think that's that's a reasonable target for for that fight. Yeah, and uh, like. This could is this like the biggest like could this be the UFC's biggest year not in terms of money because of the whole COVID nineteen but just in terms of fights because we're already in like March and we've had like some great UFC pay per views and we're not even like halfway there yet. Um, it's I mean the thing is it's like they've got the the thing is it's it's not just now the the ESPN deal they they have it's like the streaming deal with ESPN Plus which is a, a separate deal it's also like they have signed some gigantic uh, sponsorship deals of late as well like this this is going to be an enormous year for them and there are some big fights on the horizon if you're looking at the prospect of you know, if you do get this Conor McGregor Dustin Poirier fight, I mean that's two Conor fights in the span of uh, seven months. If you're looking at the idea of John Jones going up to heavyweight, that's certainly big. Israel Adesanya has certainly bursted through as an enormous star as well, and you can bank on at least another fight from him this year. Um, this is going to be a big year. It'll be a very big year. All right, thank you so much for the call, John Fury. Uh, now we go to. Ginja Ninja Dan, Ginja Ninja Dan, you are on the air. What did you think of UFC 260? I thought the show was great. Um, I came in just in time for the O'Malley fight, which I was a little disappointed in uh, the performance, to be honest with you. I mean, he looked solid, but you don't finish the fight almost on two separate occasions. Try to think you get the walkaway knockout and don't get it. Like, you're not Mark Hunt. Sorry. <laughs> um,. No surprise, really, for Naganu. I mean, this is this is a whole new Francis Naganu from the last time he faced Stipe. Uh, I'm as much as I'm excited for the possibility of him versus Jones. I I am excited to see him versus Lewis. I think there's a a lot of bad taste left in the mouth from that last fight and how horrible that was. So it's it's nice to see kind of where those two could be at now, seeing as Naganu's a whole new fighter and Lewis has kind of done a turnaround too. Um. My biggest thing is kind of what happens with Tyron Woodley now. That's something that I, I'm curious to see where he goes from here. 
Yeah, that'll be one of the big questions coming out of tonight. I think like there, there's certainly the argument you can make of you know how he looked tonight. I mean, this was not a flat performance from from Tyron Woodley. Um, it was a spectacular fight while it lasted. Um, but again, it's it's all in you know what the UFC is looking at. It's you know here's a guy that's about to turn 39. What are you investing in in a Tyron Woodley? Um, even if he looked good up until he was rocked tonight um, as well. So, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's having a name, being a former champion, that doesn't mean that you are going to be in the UFC's plans. So that's, that will be one of many questions coming out of this card. All right. Thank you very much, Ginja Ninja Dan. And now we go to our favorite contributor, Mr. Eric Marcotte, who can uh, rub it in both our faces because he correctly predicted uh, the result of the main event tonight. That's right, I did. Uh, I predicted that Francis Ngannou would knock out Stipe Miocic, and then he would go on to knock out John Jones, so we're halfway there now. Okay, well, there you go. You're going, you're going all in. That's, uh, you, you would favor Ngannou. If that fight was announced tomorrow, um, you would put Ngannou as a favorite. I would heavily, heavily favor Francis Ngannou in that fight. All right, well, that's, that's, very, uh, that's a very solid backing. I think it's a it's, it's a very interesting fight. I think that it's um, it would not be a fight that it, like obviously there is the 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 monetary side that goes without question. But in terms of a first fight at heavyweight, that would not be the fight that I would want if I if I was with John Jones' team. Uh, my first fight at heavyweight that that would not be the first fight I would want. Yeah, I think I have the exact same thought. If I'm part of the John Jones team, perhaps I'd be looking at a Derek Lewis for my heavyweight debut, not uh, Francis Ngannou, but he wants the big fights, right? And he wants to be the heavyweight champion. So it's understandable at the same time. Well, that's it. It's like, like John Jones is at a level like we, we are not bringing you up to heavyweight to just fight the number 15 guy. It's like that is, you know, that is the weight that John Jones is accepting. And you are going to be thrown into the deep end of that division because we're not headlining a pay-per-view with John Jones fighting. I mean, pick, pick your heavyweight that might make reasonable sense if you're his team to just say, hey, um, Marcin Tybora uh, would be a great introductory <laughs> to the heavyweight division. Uh, we're not headlining a pay per view with that. Right, so, are, like, are you saying you, are you saying you don't see the money in John Jones against Andre Lusky? <laughs> Look at that—the Battle of Jacksons. Maybe I'm, I'm sure that fight happened many times. Um. Well, uh, undoubtedly. Um, well, Eric, while uh, we have you on the phone, maybe this is a great opportunity to uh, reveal that announcement that uh, I teased so eloquently Ooh. earlier in the show. So uh, we mentioned some Discord features that uh, we have. Well, one of the exciting Discord features is we have a battle bot. And what you can do is you can battle other users in the Discord, and the bot will go through a very detailed pro wrestling style match and determine a winner. And we've been doing this for a few weeks. You can set a finisher, you can set a ring name, you can set a walkout. And we've been doing this a while. There have been hundred, more than 100 plus battles, and it's time to crown a champion. Uh, Eric is a prolific battler, and so with WrestleMania coming up, it's time to announce that the post-wrestling Discord Bottle Royal to crown the first ever 
post wrestling discord intercontinental channel champion <laughs> wow i can't believe you didn't stumble through that that was amazing this is this is the most exciting event it's going to be a bottle royal so what's really exciting about that is you don't actually even have to attend to participate all you have to do is come into the discord and type exclamation set walkout and your walkout song it's because you know who doesn't have a walkout song john um geez uh jobbers i, I don't know jobbers don't have walkout songs and you can't be in the bottle royal if you're a jobber so you come into the discord you set your walkout song and then you can uh you can join i mean john fury 316 is trying to set his walkout song just now and i can assure you that john and way will have walkout songs set and even if they don't attend their virtual avatars will be participating in the Bottle Royal. And that will be going down sometime during WrestleMania week. We will be concluding, uh, we will be giving further details. Uh, and Eric Marcotte will be helping me uh, host the exciting occasion. We both will be in the Bottle Royal. And uh, I'm confident that I'm going to be uh, going home as the uh, PWD Interconte Channel Champion. The Booker... Wow. That's a booking himself in as the world champion. What what a surprise! <laughs> Look, you have this is how you build a promotion. You need names to build a promotion. Okay. <laughs> well, I look very forward to seeing how this uh, how this is pulled off. This uh, this seems like like quite the uh, quite the idea. Um. Well, I I mean I I look forward to seeing how it's going to get pulled off as well because right now it's a bit of a mystery. But it's always the fun about these things. <laughs> exactly. How will I've this work? I've committed. It's on. It's it's in the record book. It's archived. Brad the archivist will uh, create a command uh, that will force people to listen to this commitment. And uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And yeah, we're going to have a new champion uh, sometime during WrestleMania week. All right. Wonderful. Thank you, Eric. Oh, that's it. He's out. Yeah. Well, do we have any more calls? Uh, that is, that's the end of the calls. Well, we can just quickly uh, look ahead before we sign off. Uh, do you know what's happening next weekend? Uh, next weekend? Uh, I guess not. Should I know? UFC is off. There's no fight night next oh. week. Oh. The UFC realized, you know what? We'll run 50 weeks a year. We are not running. We're not running Christmas, and we're not running against post-podcast day. Those are just two things <laughs> that are so ingrained in people's routine. We, we can't. We can't put a fight night up against them. So they will be off next weekend. And then they return April 10th back on ABC. That card's headlined by Darren Till and Marvin Vittori. Then April 17th. It's Robert Whitaker versus Calvin Gastelum. That was supposed to happen uh, two years ago. And then uh, Phil and I are going to be back on Saturday, April 24th, where 15,000 people will be at the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena for UFC 261, where we have three title fights, Phil. Kamaru Usman, Jorge Masvidal in a rematch for the welterweight title. Zhang Wei Li defends the strawweight title against Rose Nami Yunus. And Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica Andrade for the flyweight title. Yeah, I mean, they stacked it for the pandemic finale card, you know? 
Yes. Just blow, what, go out with a bang. Were you surprised this this event sold out immediately? No, that that didn't surprise me at all because uh, a lot of pent up demand um, and you know, and uh, there were other events earlier, just you know, in December. Or so things in San Antonio, there's some boxing events, the Canelo fight. I saw there were some pretty big crowds, so it, it didn't really shock me. And and look, it's huge names too, right? It, it, they're massive names. I mean. Usman and Masvidal pulled a, a gigantic number last July, uh, and they were the you know the 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 big fight on the, that 251 card. So I do think this is going to be a big show for the UFC, and it's going to get a lot of attention because it is an indoor event with 15,000 people. Like that's going to get a lot of coverage mm, in the next yeah. month. Uh, on top of things, uh, plus we have Chris Weidman against Uriah Hall on that card, uh, Anthony Smith against Jimmy Crute. Um, among the fights that have been announced. So that will be the next time we have a post show. So look out for that. And I'll quickly mention that next Saturday, for those unaware, all members of the post wrestling cafe will get to be part of post podcast day, starting at noon Eastern time. We're going to be live for six hours with six different shows coming your way. And the headliner at five o'clock Eastern next Saturday, it will be a live Q and a, with ESPN's Ariel Helwani. So if you are part of post-podcast day, uh, that will be among the the six hours of programming for post-wrestling cafe members. Uh, is it very exciting? What 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 a get, John. Uh, I can't wait to, to hear what Ariel has to say. I can't wait to see what uh, walkout song Ariel picks when he joins the Discord. Yes. Uh, so uh, actually, I, I think I already know. I'm going to guess. It's Three Little Birds by uh, Bob Marley. I believe that's his walkout song. So, um, well, but yeah. you, can, you can find out ne- next week, and that's maybe right. we'll yeah. uh, maybe we'll have the Discord running as uh, as these shows are going on. The Discord is always alive, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. And that that's right. Yes. So there's always someone in here to battle with. Uh, so uh, come on in here, set your walkout, uh, set your ring name, set your finisher, participate in the Bottle Royal, participate in uh, the Discord. And uh, yeah, go to Patreon.com and become a post-wrestling patron because then you get to talk to Ariel Helwani next week. That's right. Live Q&A, we'll be taking your calls, so that should be a lot of fun uh, next week. So that is going to wrap up the UFC 260 post show. Uh, Thanks to all of the callers, uh, all the people in the Discord tonight. It was a lot of fun to be in there tonight. Uh, A lot of activity, a lot of fun, and, you know, the lord of the cord himself, Phil Chertok, gets my my full praise. Well, well, thank you, John, but uh, if it wasn't for the people, it's it's the people who make up the cord. And uh, if it weren't for them, it wouldn't be a fun place. But we can have more, more people. Come, come, come now. Uh, postwrestling.com slash Discord and uh, join the fun. Uh, anything else to say, John? That's it. We're out. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll be back Saturday, April 24th after UFC 261.